Okay, hello. Uh, thanks for joining me for another live video. Um, the last video I did was looking at circles of reality. Uh, uh, I'm reading a book called Christ and the End of Meaning uh, with a number of people through my powerotheology.com group. And the book starts off by defining something very basic about uh, how we interact with the world. Uh, whether you're a humanist, whether you're a theist, whether you're orthodox or progressive or conservative, uh, we all operate within uh, circles of reality. And if you look at the last video, you'll see how a circle of reality um, has a certain underlying structure that we don't really see, but that's, that's in operation. And the structure is we have an idea of the world as it is, an idea of the world as it ought to be, uh, we have a sense of how we get from the is to the ought. And meaning is, you know, what our goals are, what we're aiming towards, whether as a society or as individuals. And power is the mechanism that gets us from where we are to where we would like to be. And so, you know, whatever worldview you have, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever religious perspective or secular perspective you have, this structure uh, is in place. And technically, in a technical sense, you can define religion as this structure of reality. Religion legitimizes our circles of reality or offers alternatives to our, you know, the dominant circles of reality. Uh, but religion at its core gives us a sense of who we are, who we should be, and where we're going and it uh, articulates that within a, a wider picture of cosmic significance. So in that sense, humanism is a religion in a technical sense, and secularism, uh, you know, as well as, say, uh, theism, as well as orthodoxy and progressive Christianity, these all operate with, the, with this idea of a circle of reality. And I touched on the idea that within radical theology and pyrotheology, the idea is that faith is the name we give to a form of life that lives within, but not of, circles of reality, that smash our whole ways of understanding the world, uh, that confronts us with the contingency of our existence, the historicity of our positions, that decenters us, that destabilizes us that faith is a name that is given to a fundamental eruption that, that basically breaks down our political, cultural, and religious understandings of the world. Uh, elsewhere, I have argued that um, we, we always try to domesticate the violence of this eruption in our lives. It happens in all manner of ways. Uh, it might happen when you find out you've got a terminal illness, and your whole way of understanding the world collapses. Or it might happen when you lose your job, or through a movement from one religion to another, or from no religion to a religion, or a religion to no religion. By religion, I'm talking about history, historic religions. Uh, as I said, the whole thing is religious um, from a certain perspective, but from one historic position to another historic position. Your circles of reality uh, might change, might expand, might break down. Um, but what we often try to do is protect ourselves from the horror of this encounter with the absurd. 
there's another word for this in existentialism is the encounter with absurdity, the experience of the absurd. Uh, so what we do is we we try to kind of uh, you know you know it's almost it's almost better for us to have an interpretation of the world in which we are bad than having the idea that maybe our interpretation of the world is wrong. So for example, you might say, well, I lost my job because I didn't work hard enough. I still believe in the capitalist system. It's right, it's good, I just haven't worked hard enough. Um, I just fell through the cracks for some particular reason, right? So what you're doing is you're judging yourself, but you're not judging your circle of reality. Or someone says, well, my religion isn't working because I haven't prayed enough, I haven't fasted enough, I haven't done X, Y, or Z enough. Again, you're, you almost prefer to condemn yourself within your circle of reality than go maybe the circle of reality itself is the problem. So you can listen to that last Facebook Live to hear a little bit more about that. But we domesticate these eruptions in our lives and we try to put meaning onto them. Uh, but this, in a sense, fundamentally misses the point. So this is the problem with atonement theories, in a nutshell for me. Uh, all atonement theories are designed to put meaning onto the crucifixion. This, this event, this theological event, Christ crucified, every atonement theory is an attempt to make it make sense, to make it into a sign, to domesticate it, to reinscribe it into our world of meaning, where everything ultimately makes sense, right? even if we don't quite know what the ultimate picture is. Uh, this this is reinscribed into the idea that there is an overarching picture of reality that is coherent, sound, and singular. But what if? Uh, the, the reason why there are so many atonement theories is simply because none of them work. Because the whole point is the crucifixion is a stumbling block to science and foolishness to our attempts to bring it into a system of wisdom. It fundamentally uh, is a betrayal of, of the crazy meaning of this symbol by trying to reinscribe it with meaning. Uh, Paul Hessert, uh, in his book, Christ and the End of Meaning, he uses the example of the Holocaust. He says, you know, if you try to say that it has meaning, i.e., oh, it was the sins of the people, it was a test from God, or something like that, you fundamentally miss the point. This catastrophic event of horror in the 20th century is that which ruptures our sense of understanding our place in the world our understanding of natural law, our understanding of how things should work. It's not simply a case of, oh, bad things happen sometimes. It is an event that in the existential reality of a community and of the Western world, it is the breakdown of meaning. The First World War is another example. For the Western intellectuals, the First World War was not something that could be explained or domesticated into meaning. It, in a sense, uh, exposed how crazy everything is. It was, um, it was that which ruptured our sense of right and wrong and progress and uh, you know, social evolution and all of that. In fact, it gave birth to absurdist movements that tried to um, expose this uh, destabilizing event. 
So in a similar way, the cross is not the affirmation of some historical religion. It's not the affirmation of some world of meaning. It's not the identification of identifying with a particular group. In its most radical sense, in its most scandalous sense, it is that which uh, breaks all religions, all of our understanding. It is absurd. To wear a cross on your neck is, is I've said it before, but it's the original punk, it's proto-punk. It's that which enters the world as something that we cannot domesticate, cannot understand, cannot integrate into a philosophical system. It blows everything apart. That's what crucifixion meant. You were cursed with the divine. You were no longer within the political system. It was deeply problematic. Now, if you go with this thinking, of course, I'm being, I'm summarizing. So apologies, uh, you know, go find some lectures that I've given that go into more detail, but summarizing the position. Uh, this is um, the theological equivalent of something that happened within the scientific world uh, in the kind of 19th and 20th century, from the move from Newtonian physics to modern physics. Uh, the best way to describe this is, do you, you know the late comedian uh, Mitch Hedberg? Uh, Hedberg had this joke where he said, you know, every picture you see of a Bigfoot, he's always blurry. You know, all these pictures, all these videos, he's always blurry. And then he said, what if Bigfoot's blurry, right? What if it's not that, you know, we, we always have out-of-focus pictures of him? What if Bigfoot is inherently, ontologically speaking, is blurry? That if you saw Bigfoot walking through LA, he would be this massive blurry mess, right? Like that beautifully captures the movement from a Newtonian world in which we say that there are contradictions within our understanding of reality. There are contradictions and antagonisms and aporias in our ways we theorize uh, and understand the world. But if we had enough insight, we could focus them and get rid of all the antagonisms, right? To the position, but what if, it's not that our theories have antagonisms because they, they don't match up to reality. What if reality itself is antagonistic? What if reality itself is contradictory? And actually, the way of like particle geology um, and retroactive um, experimentations and, and cause and effect aren't a result of us not understanding something, but are actually a reflection on the fact that reality itself is inherently destabilizing and inherently rupturous. So in theological terms, it's the movement from you know, we don't have uh, a, an understanding of how the world works, but there is one. And all our views are blurry, but there's one that's in focus that's up there and we, do, we have better or worse access to it, which is basically the progressive position to the idea that what if reality itself is blurry, right? That's, that's the kind of scandalous message of the crucifixion is that, that it is a, the embrace of the breakdown of all of our religious identities. Uh, and actually at a very fundamental level, it is the critique of theism, humanism, atheism, all of that, because they are all religious structures. Now, if you go with that, then of course the first question that comes to mind is, well, faith then, what, why is it any different from nihilism? 
Because the one exception to all of these worldviews is nihilism. Nihilism is, in a sense, the acceptance of the radical contingency and historicity of our embedded existence. Nihilism is staring into the void. Nihilism is tarrying with the rupture at the heart of being itself, right? So in this argument, faith and nihilism seem utterly indistinguishable. Now, Hessert says, actually, yeah, you're right. Nihilism is closer to the truth of faith than theism. It's closer to the truth of faith than uh, historical religions. It's closer to the truth of faith than spirituality. Right? Nihilism is much closer than spirituality to the truth of faith. But there's one difference, one little difference between faith and nihilism, in that the objective side of them is the same. Faith is the embrace of the rupturing of our worldviews and our understandings of our place in the universe, the breakdown of our most basic understandings of the world. But there's a subjective side of faith that is different from nihilism. The subjective side of faith is captured in the word Abba. Right? Now, Abba means, uh, it, you know, we all know this if you, if you grew up in a religious background, that it's an ancient term for father. But it's a very personal term. Uh, so often in like, evangelical churches, they'll say it's like saying daddy. Now, it's not quite like saying daddy because in our, in our, in our Western 21st century world, our understanding of fatherhood is very, very weak, especially in relation to the past when this word was used. So it wouldn't be like saying a child saying daddy now, but it's a word that connotes trust. It's a word that denotes uh, a personal subjective giving of oneself. So it's not like that father. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's like daddy in that sense. It's like, I trust you. Now, of course, like any technical word, we have to try to unpick it from its context, which it remains embedded in. So Abba, uh, you know, has not been translated for a reason. It's a technical term. And of course, it's not connected with fatherhood. It's not connected with motherhood. It's, it can be disconnected from personhood entirely. It can be disconnected from sons and daughters and all of that. At a very basic level, Abba is a technical term for giving yourself in trust. Right? It is a subjective experience of saying yes. Right? It's, a, it's, an, it's an act of trust. So... From paratheological perspective, the faith is different from nihilism in the sense that it says Abba to the void, to the rupture itself. It, it, it embraces it in joy. It embraces it with abundant hope and excitement. So it doesn't renounce the world. It doesn't sit and listen to Grateful Dead with the lights out and despair over the existence of everything. It is a saying yes to this fundamentally destabilizing reality. Um, so yeah, so there you go. And I'll just give you one example from my, from my own life, my own kind of conversion. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I uh, had this experience, a religious experience. And like a, a true religious experience is not a, an experience of something. It's that which changes your experience of everything. So like a religious experience, it changes your experience of everything. Um, 
And I, I did three things. I went home to my parents and said, I'm no longer your son. I threw out all of my possessions. And the third thing I did was I stopped going to tech where I was doing a computer studies course. Now, I didn't know what was happening at the time. I had no education or anything like that. But reflecting back on it, this was a very crude way of me experiencing a rupture in my circle of reality. Everything I owned was aspirational. It told you what I valued, what I wanted out of life, what I desired. And suddenly none of that made any sense anymore, so I just got rid of it. Going to tech was, you know, I had to get a job, I needed to settle down, I needed to, you know, make a living, all of that stuff. And suddenly I was like, I don't need to do that. That whole way of is and ought and the whole and how you get there just dissipated and I just stopped going. And when I said to my parents, and they were very gracious about it, um, you know, I said, I'm not your son. I was saying to them, all of the values that you brought me up with, good as many of them were and beautiful as many of them were, I feel no longer constrained by them. The whole cultural world that I was in just no longer worked. So the conversion didn't add anything onto me. It didn't, like I didn't become, I didn't enter into a new religion. I didn't have a new set of beliefs, nothing like that, a new set of experiences, nothing like that. It was a radical subtraction. Something was taken away. It was, I was now in my world, but not of it. I was, uh, I, all of my way of, my way of understanding the universe, the world, my place within it all dissolved. And I felt this radical freedom. But the subjective side of it was this was not frightening. This was not bad. This did not scare me. It was wonderful. It was amazing. It felt like I wanted to affirm this. It was a new life, a rebirth. You know, you don't experience birth. Birth is what allows you to experience. And so it was an entering into a new form of life. And most of my work is about reflecting on that. So that's, why, that's where faith and nihilism are very close, but where faith and nihilism are different is in a sense that faith is the joyous embrace of the unknown. So mysticism is a good example. Now, I'm very critical of a lot of mysticism, but some of the great mystics, they embrace the destabilizing of their political, religious, and cultural worlds, and they did it joyfully. They weren't afraid of doubt, complexity, and unknowing. They affirmed them as something positive and life-giving and wonderful. What they had is they had the objective side of faith, which is the embrace of doubt, complexity, and unknowing. And they had the subjective side of it, which was a, a subjective affirmation of that, an embrace of it, a walking into it. So there you go, just some thoughts on the, the, the book that I'm currently reading. Um, I'll probably do another couple of videos that, that expand on, on some of these themes. Uh, as always, if you want more, you go to powerotheology.com, you'll find like over 30 hours of video stuff, you'll find writings there that, that you can't find anywhere else, you can find uh, various seminars I've done, book studies. Uh, but don't worry if you do want to sign up there. You can also get lots of free content. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these. Um, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, listening in. So I will leave you to it. Hopefully um, uh, that was uh, of interest to you. Take care. And next time you see me, I should have uh, a better camera. And therefore, I'm sorry I can't improve the face or anything, but definitely it will improve the quality um, of, the, of the shot.
Take care of yourselves.